the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. The mechanical clank and the whir of machinery hammers the air, pulsating like an enormous clock. Only this clock is counting down, not forward. The metronome of the beep of the heart monitor fills the cramped hospital room. In the hospital room, a little miniaturized bed with rails and buttons and knobs, surrounded by flowers, some fresh, others dry and wilted, long past due. In the bed, a resting two-year-old, sleeping in a nest of wires, thorny and prodded. His hand barely fits around an index finger. When you rest your hand around his little fist, his eyes open. But a... a tired look. His eyes open wide. He's sitting next to a smiling pale blue teddy bear, tiny and peaceful and quiet in his gray Mickey Mouse sweater. His name, or what he's known as in England, is Baby Alfie. Baby Alfie is dying, but not really dying. He's withering. And if you look closer, you will see that the bed occasionally is stained with urine that the nurses haven't changed. A dime-sized splotch of mold lines the tubing that helps Alfie breathe. Now 23 and a half months old, Alfie has been at the Alderhay Children's Hospital in Liverpool since December of 2016. At the heart of the struggle is yet another terse, brutal, upsetting question. Who does your child belong to? Does your child belong to you or to the state? Do any of us have the right to our child? This story is about a lot of things. The sanctity of life, the importance of proper health care, the downfalls of a socialistic health care system, the preciousness of life, but what matters most perhaps is parental rights. I take that back. What matters most is the life of this child. Let's get this baby out of a hospital that has callously signed his death certificate while he is still fighting for his life. Now, Alfie's parents, Tom Evans, 21, and Kate, James, she's 20, have tried everything. Doctors have said their son is unresponsive. Other than that, they don't have a diagnosis. Maybe it's a rare brain disease, but they don't know. What we do know is that doctors and healthcare officials in England have ordered that baby Alfie is to have his life support removed. Tom and Kate have tried everything under the law, regional court, the Court of Appeals, the Supreme Court, and every time, just like before, the judges have ruled in the favor of the doctors and the healthcare officials they know best. In favor of the state and against the parents. And there seems to be a fuming hopelessness to Tom's eyes anytime he leaves the courtroom in his white Alfie equals life t-shirt. At times he's angry that 
the desperate anger of injustice, the utter disbelief, a 21-year-old father who cannot now even touch his son. If he did, he'll be thrown into jail for assault. But I've seen the pictures of his child. I have seen the pictures that aren't being published over in Great Britain of the mold inside of the breathing tube. His words rush along so hurriedly, uh, so hurriedly and so thick with accent that many sources, even in England, include subtitles. The National Health Service in Britain is a clogged and failing healthcare system, and it has no space or time for critically ill children, even if the hospital's maltreatment has largely contributed to the child's conditions, they move on. Alfie's struggle is reminiscent of the case of Charlie Gard, an 11-month-old with a rare genetic disorder whose parents fought to keep him alive, only to have the NHS transfer him to hospice, where despite his parents' pleas to try different methods, to try anything at all, to let him come home, he died. And there are many more cases. And it should be terrifying the NHS can't make room for possibilities, and people in England are noticing it. Outside the hospital where Alfie's fighting for his life, a band of protesters are passionate at times to a fault. Tom and Kate have publicly apologized for the disruption of the protesters. If you've ever seen anyone on life support, it's awful, and you know it. This is a baby, and it's deafening. All of the medical equipment looms massively over this baby's little body. But all those awful machines are helping him fight for life. They're buying him time so the doctors can figure out what's going on. Aren't we all supposed to fight until we're exhausted to keep the flame of life alive? It's far beyond the Hippocratic Oath. It's far beyond duty. Alfie's parents have tried everything. They've had hospitals offer to intervene only to have the NHS step in and say, it's time to say your goodbyes. The Pope once again has offered to fly the baby to Italy to take to take the child into treatment under the Catholic Church in a hospital in Rome. There is an ambulance on call outside of the hospital and a private jet waiting to take him to the Pope. The Pope tweeted, I am praying for Alfinas, for his family, and for all those involved. But the British government says they know better. And they control the child. And their parents can only not take the child. But they can't even hold their own son now. They can't save his life. Because his life doesn't belong to them. I was always taught that our lives belong to God. But in England, we're being taught that your life belongs to the state. It's Wednesday, April 18th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. He's the author of several really important books, including IBM and the Holocaust and War Against the Weak. His name is Edwin Black, and he joins us in studio. 
Good to see you again, Edwin. How are you? Good morning. It's good to see you, Glenn. So, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about you and and your really important work that you have done um, on uh, the Holocaust and in particular the war against the weak, um, especially now that we are starting to see, I think, the same kind of things start up again with the same kinds of excuses that we saw in Germany now that we're talking about um, getting rid of, of all Down syndrome, not because we found a way to genetically splice or to, fa- but just through abortion, just through killing them. Um, and we're devaluing life again. I wanted to have you on in the program and see if you have seen these parallels and it concerns you at all. It does concern me, and your remarks are quite moving and poignant, and we should all be deeply concerned as we have about this case. Uh, as it's played out on the world stage. I think that uh, your remarks were most interesting. When does a person's life cease becoming under his own domain or his family's domain and become public property, a matter of public health? This, uh, the concept of public health as we know it first began uh, in Venice during the Black Plague when ships were required to stay out to sea 40 days a quattrogiorno, which uh, came up with the concept of quarantine. That was the moment when medicine ceased to uh, serve the individual and started uh, to be diverted to the public welfare. But who is controlling the public welfare and who makes those those decisions? When I wrote War Against the Week, which was um, uh, over a decade ago, I warned... That the, uh, that the racial dogma and national flags would be replaced with corporate worth. And we're on the precipice of this right now. I called it newgenics. And unfortunately, the tsunami is coming closer to us and faster to us than I ever thought possible. We are, uh, just a few days ago, I was in the uh, Michigan Capitol Rotunda observing Holocaust Day, and I introduced a concept called the algorithm ghetto. Just as there was a move to create anti-genetic discrimination legislation in England and in, in, in the United States, we are now threatened by the potentiality that individuals could be cut off in a cashless society with the press of a button it will no longer be necessary for Goebbels to send uh, mm-hmm. uh, a minder into the newsroom to watch the type that's going out or put uh, 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 a special commissar in the radio booth. All, all that can be done with zombie accounts where you think you're shouting from the uh, rooftops and no one is hearing you. Mm-hmm. And so it brings up the issue. Uh, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did the tree fall? Or another way of saying it is, if Glenn Beck calls the world out on Baby Alpha or I talk about the death of six million Jews and no one hears it, what has happened to our society? Mm -hmm. And so therefore, the big movers in this process now are not only the health systems, but it's actually Google, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, because we will no longer be informed. It would be very possible 
for Facebook and Twitter to say that this is a distressing topic, and they have been doing that. So now here's something really interesting, and we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk more about this. What's really interesting is that sounds to most people, not to me, but to most people, like something that would never happen. You were a guy who took on IBM. You're a guy who wrote IBM and the Holocaust. And I remember when that book came out, and I remember I went to the bookstore and I bought it, and it seemed really buttoned up. But boy, oh boy, IBM and everybody else came after you and said, that's absolutely untrue. That did not happen, et cetera, et cetera. And yet here was this giant corporation that in the end had to admit that you were right, that it did happen. Now you're warning about the same kinds of collusion if you will in a different way uh and people will say not possible not going to happen and those same corporations will be your biggest uh enemy we're going to come back and and i want to talk to um edwin black war against the weak we'll we'll talk to him a little bit about um the value of the individual also um uh, the parallels in history and what we can learn and what we should be paying attention to when we come back. We tell you about our sponsor. We want to uh, we want to thank them for uh, making this half hour possible. And that is um, realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're looking to buy or sell your home, uh, now is the time to do it. Between April 15th and I think it's August 15th, if you're selling a home, that's when you want to sell it. That's when everybody's looking. Um, and you can go through a whole bunch of uh, real estate agents if you're trying to sell your home. Or if you're trying to buy a home, it's equally as difficult. Who do I hire? Well, we have over a 1,000 agents all over America who are just like you. They're fans of the program. They share your sensibilities. Their word is their bond, and um, they're fully vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record. We need somebody who really knows your area, knows the, what your house is worth, and can sell it on time and for the most amount of money. Thousands of families have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test. The results speak for themselves, and you need to find out yourself. Contact realestateagentsitrust.com. Get them to help your family take care of the buying or selling of your home. It's probably the most difficult thing you do in your life is moving your family. Realestateagentsitrust.com are there to help you. Do it now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. If you want to understand the possibilities of the future, all you have to do is look to the past. Uh, Edwin Black is an amazing researcher, historian, and author. Uh, his book is War Against the Weak. It came out, I don't know, about a decade ago. And I've, I've, we have a good relationship. Uh, I've talked to him several times. Uh, he's a very, very brave man. Um, uh, and we wanted to talk to him. I just gave you the story about Alfie Evans. This is a two-year-old in a hospital in England. This is not international news yet. It's uh, in the news in England, but it is another Charlie Gard story. And this one is, it's, it's a horrifying story, really, truly horrifying. When does a child 
when is it a child and when is it your child and when does it become the state's child? These are the questions that we talked about when we said, you know, universal health care leads to death panels. You're now seeing that in in England. Um, and unfortunately, you're seeing it now in Holland and Iceland, where if test results come back where you are carrying a child with Down syndrome, they want to make mandatory abortion. We've seen something come out of the uh, the Dutch government where they are they are now starting to weigh a person's life based on how much they can make. And Edwin, this is all stuff we've seen before. Yes, this is exactly what I was war- uh, warning about and uh, which I'm uh, most unhappy to hear is coming true. The, it will no longer be, as I said, about your skin color, but your corporate worth. And if what you just said is true, then we are closer to this precipice than I ever thought, where someone will evaluate uh, in modern terms what Hitler said, mm-hmm. which is a life not worthy of life mm-hmm. or a life not worthy of live of of living we're actually doing doing that in many ways in a passive way now by creating economic structures and economic bars to the uh to the actual continuation of life right and i think that the single most threatening manifestation of this let us call the vanguard of this the tip of the spear is the cashless society which will make it possible for you to even be denied a bread because you you'll 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 be cut off with a keystroke well they're already doing this in uh china Stu, what was that story we got from china that by 2020 you are on a social media algorithm every citizen of china will be on a social media algorithm and based on what you're doing if the state says it's positive or negative is is what will get you into the right stores allow you to buy certain things if you're perceived as a negative, you are a non-person, and they are implementing that. Uh, by 2020, it will be in full force. And that is exactly what, I was, what I've complained about uh, in Michigan last week, and I'm syndicating a, a story on this right now, where I've introduced a concept called the algorithm ghetto. Yes. It is exactly what you just said. Uh, you, you, you know, Amazon does this with its vendors, with its uh, with, with authors, uh, mm-hmm. it, it with the, its suppliers, with its workers. Everybody's on a metric. Everybody gets evaluated. This idea that it's no longer good enough to do the best that you can humanly do and fulfill your aspirations to wish the, the, the way you wish, but have some overlord decide that you must conform to a certain metric and that metric becomes higher and higher and th- with the portal thinner and thinner. So here's what's frightening. The, the, um, the Germans used to say, how many potatoes can a man earn or make or grow? You know, let's, let's, let's look at what he's worth. Is he eating more than he's producing? Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're eating more than you're producing, you're a waste of society's resources. Um, in your book, uh, IBM and the Holocaust, what was t- so terrifying was, is if there had just been five years ahead, you know, if if the computer systems of IBM would have just been five years better and we, we they would have been able to implement it even stronger, there wouldn't be a Jew lie alive in, in Europe today. Now, with the technology that we have, 
if you're a marked person, you're done. Well, remember, IBM did this research, uh, to your point, in, um, uh, in uh, Poland. Uh, they had the Hollerith group during World War II, and they were measuring how many calories per day was necessary to starve the entire Polish ghetto to death. Back in just a minute. Glenn Beck Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Author of the international bestseller IBM and the Holocaust and War Against the Weak, Edwin Black, uh, is here. We're talking about the the meaning of, of life or the worth of life when... Uh, you know, when are you property of the state and 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 where are we headed uh, now? What, what's amazing, um, Edwin, to me is, you know, in reading all of your research, you would think that the eugenics program here in the United States, because how many states were sterilizing people at the at the height of all of this? Give me the give me the 27 word. states, but uh, other states had non-sterilization means of eliminating people, such as um, uh, uh, incarceration in uh, what we can call uh, pseudo-medical concentration camps like sanitariums, and there was marriage voiding, marriage marriage prohibition, um, uh, and of course, uh, even some country, even some states that did not forcibly sterilize engaged in what you have referred to with Alfie, which is the conscious denial of, uh, of, of life support. The uh, institution in Lincoln, Illinois, that uh, fed its uh, kids uh, um, tubercular milk oh my God. to see how many would uh, survive and how many would not. The denial on the, uh, um, on the, uh, uh, the surgical table of um, uh, that uh, baby Bolin uh, that uh, came up with the concept of the black stork, better to see your baby not live. It's a horrifying movie. And um, uh, which, of course, you're very uh, aware of. When I was growing up in Chicago, the uh, medical, uh, the consensus of medical uh, um, uh, uh, wisdom for spina bifida was to allow the baby to die within the first 24 to 48 hours by denial of nutrition. And today we see spina bifida ski teams. And so this is in my lifetime and yours. So, so here's the amazing thing is when you look at it, this was so widespread, yet at its height, the American Eugenics Society had very low membership. It seems like there were... There were not a lot of people that were driving this. Is that true? Yes, that's an interesting observation. It's not that there was a groundswell. Right. In fact, there was uh, the opposite of a groundswell because uh, so long there was the concept of uh, forced surgical sterilization and even euthanasia because the first uh, gas chambers uh, were um, the attempt to legislate them in, in the United States came in Ohio in 1906 
but the uh, immigrant population that came here, and of course, or- ordinary Americans didn't want their uh, elected officials sterilizing and murdering them uh, through this pseudoscience. And so those things were not legislated in until, of course, Buck versus Bell, the Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes in 1927 right. said it is uh, better for all the world that three generations of imbeciles be um, uh, be sterilized and see them executed for their crimes. What is the, I, I didn't know about the gas chambers here in the United States. What, tell me that. Well, year, uh, decades before Hitler employed the gas chamber, of course, Hitler was a eugenicist who studied American eugenic works in German translation, translated by the Nazi party in prison, and even wrote about American eugenics in Mein Kampf, uh, gas chambers were always considered to be the best solution for a a, a eugenic problem. And I think I have a chapter in uh, that you're looking at right now, Mm -hmm. uh, War Against the Weak. It's um, called The Lethal Chamber or or Eugenicide. And so there was always an effort to um, uh, bring out a gas chamber in the United States. Of course, they finally did so in 1928 in Nevada with the first capital punishment crime. But the original idea was that, pe- that, that, that a doctor would write a, a prescription out for a gassing, and uh, there would be public gassings, and people would be marched in and brought out the dead. And as I say, the first um, legislation was entered into Ohio in 1906, um, and none of it ever came t- to the fore. In fact, when the Carnegie Institution and Rockefeller Foundation uh, first propelled the eugenics movement uh, to international and uh, pseudoscientific heights, um, uh, uh, euthanasia was one of their 12 uh, preferred methods of, of, of eliminating. We must understand that eugenics was an effort to eliminate 90% of the people in the United States, 10% at a time, to first identify what they deemed to be the bottom 10th and eliminate those and then slice off uh, a 10th, a 10th, a 10th until there was no one left except those who resembled themselves. And that was blonde, it was blue-eyed, and it was Nordic. Are you concerned at all that we're doing many of the same things just in a more sterilized uh, fashion now now you can pick you know the uh, hair color the eye color you're now if you have twins you can pick if it's going to be a boy or a girl and you can you know abort the the twin if you only wanted one child we are talking about gene splicing i mean we're doing all the things or on the precipice of doing all the things that you know, anyone from Margaret Sanger to Adolf Hitler wanted to do. Margaret Sanger wanted uh, to eliminate two-thirds of uh, society uh, to save humanity. She called these people human weeds. Uh, Adolf Hitler also wanted to save the world uh, by by once again eliminating any that did not conform to his concept of, of, of a master race. What we are doing now is we're putting corporate logos uh, on this golf shirts with emblems. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing it slower. We're doing it more subtly. We're doing it with a, 
a much nicer PR campaign. We're doing it economically and we're doing it digitally. And there will come a point soon when what is even being done will not be, will not be known to us because of this digital ghetto, this electronic ghetto, and this algorithm ghetto that is in fact emerging upon us right now. Just um, uh, last Christmas, Amazon decreed that all books, uh, all historical books on Nazi Germany could not feature a swastika on, on them outside the United States. And so my book, Nazi Nexus, and many, many, many other books had to be redesigned to take the swastika away. Poland has now <clears throat> let, um, uh, uh, enforced mm-hmm. legislation to obscure and hide and rewrite the history of the Polish nation in which many, many Jews uh, of, uh, of Polish citizens were killed by their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And there was huge collaboration. Mm-hmm. We know that Poland was occupied. But I assure you that... We, we, we know this because of ordinary men. We know this because of ordinary men, and, and we know that when uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews were uh, incrementally marched to the edge of town, shot in a pit uh, in, a public, in a more or less public ceremony, we know that the very next day in the schoolyard and the main square, all their property was systematically auctioned, all their possessions were taken over, all their houses became owned by the... Uh, villagers inside and the same thing is happening in lithuania and we are going to see the rewriting of history now soon does it make the idea of having a a non-digital library of critical importance i have a non-digital library so do i and uh and so and so do you and i happen to know what that your library has some excellent selections <laughs> uh, and some of them are quite unique especially yes. in the eugenics realm yes. i've seen some of your books i don't think it's a matter of having a digital or non-digital library i think it's a matter of taking the controls away so that somebody in silicon valley can decide whether uh, an individual will be heard or not heard uh, my book ibm and the holocaust uh came out in a czech version uh, it's coming out in four l- more languages this year. It came out in a Czech uh, language version a couple of months ago, and somebody tweeted out uh, just a picture of of, of 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 the book. It was just a book cover in their hand, and there was a warning uh, uh, bar that this is a difficult subject, and uh, uh, you'll have to click here for access to it. Our history is not only being erased. It's being refabricated. It's being remolded. It's being reborn before our eyes. And we're seeing it in, incrementally, and we're seeing it en masse. And these factors are coming together right before us. How does somebody follow you? Well, um, I have a website, edwinblack.com, and I have a Twitter account, uh, which I think is uh, Edwin Black Book. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not supposed to say this, but my daughter runs my uh, Twitter uh, yeah, and yeah, Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm out there, but um, I don't do much on on uh, Facebook. I don't express myself, but my stuff is announced. Yeah, I, I will tell you that uh, I am, I'm a big fan of yours. I think you're a very, um, 
you're a very careful, studious, well thought out, well researched uh, man and a hero. Uh, I think you have you have stood against giants to try to tell the truth, historic truth, and have always come up with the evidence and uh, never smear. Just tell the truth with the hard facts to back it up. And and uh, you're rare in, in today's age. And I thank you. Thank you. Back in just a minute. Uh, if you've not read any of his work, you need to. IBM and the Holocaust, uh, the Nazi Nexus. Uh, and we've been discussing War Against the Weak, which is shocking with its American connections. All right. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It is my Patriot Supply. FEMA is broken, and this doesn't come from me. This comes from the head of FEMA. They say hurricane and wildfire seasons are ahead. And if if we have, you know, flooding from a hurricane or wildfires or whatever, they're not going to be able to come and give you the support that you need. Well, that wouldn't have been a shock to, you know, my family or my grandparents or anybody else, but it's a shock now. What do you mean the government can't help? We have to prepare to take care of ourselves. And this is the week to stop up, stock up on emergency food. This week, the Glenbeck special offer from My Patriot Supply. Buy one two-week emergency food kit and get the second one free. It's buy one, get one free. Purchase one two-week emergency food supply kit. My Patriot Supply is going to send you the second one free. You can order online at preparewithglenn.com. The kits include um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks for one person. They last up to 25 years in storage. They're packaged right. They're very small. They're very light. They're easy to grab and go. Two-week emergency food. You buy one, you get the second one free. 800-200-7163. 800-200-7163. Or just go to the website, preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. It's always disturbing to know the news and uh, and to think it means something and then to talk to an expert in a, uh, any given field and they don't know that news. When we told uh, Edwin uh, about what's happening in China, you know, he's calling it the uh, the algorithm ghetto uh, to where. People will be controlled by an algorithm and you will be you will have access to money or to uh, items or to whatever based on what you're doing online. We told him, oh, yeah, that's being implemented now in China. President Xi announced it that it will be in full force by 2020 in China. He went a little white. And it's a little disturbing. Yeah. I mean, to see that, you know, it's such a real thing. And that's, I guess, what the point of this is. We could sit here and you, know, you go back and forth about the daily, uh, you know, musings of, of every political figure and all the news. And we'll do that. Obviously, it's important at some level. But, like, this is a much bigger thing. I mean, these are, he's, Edwin has done work that has changed history. Yeah. I mean, I, I shouldn't say changed no. history. Changed the telling Uncovered. of history. Uncovered, Uncovered real history. history yeah. 
that people uh, were trying to hide or yeah. had forgotten really important. I mean, I was looking at this today. If you look at the, uh, think of everything that's happened over the past year with Donald Trump and all of the back and forth, mm-hmm. all of the stories mm-hmm. that people have obsessed about as if they were the biggest stories in the universe. In the last year, Donald Trump's average approval rating from all the polls has ranged between 36 and 42. It's been remarkably consistent in that range. None of that, none of the thousands of breaking news alerts on CNN Mm -hmm. has moved that thing out of a six-point range, which you might notice is the margin of error, three points in either direction, of almost all of those polls. It's all of this craziness on television, all of the, the breathless reporting, all of the awards they've given themselves have accomplished exactly nothing. And all of this obsession and, and everyone getting fired up in the daily outrage of the day has not moved that at all. And that's just one measure of it, but it just shows that bigger things, things with bigger real ideas. consequence, things yes. with real weight are the are where we should be focusing our our yes. attention. We are we are um we are missing the big picture by looking and and navel gazing and staring at a tree trunk we're missing the entire forest and it's the forest that matters because it's just moving forward you know we can say whatever we want about you know facebook and their algorithms but they're moving forward you know we can be outraged by zuckerberg and and facebook and you know all the but nothing's changing nothing's changing it's moving forward and that's where we really need to focus our attention on the big picture of what is happening and one thing that is happening is the erasing of a whole christian society we go there next back mercury love courage truth glenn Back. Last night, there were cheers in heaven as Barbara Bush was called home. She was 92 years old. We've lost an icon. She was the matriarch of the most successful American political dynasty in modern history. She was the uh, helm of the entire Bush family. Um... She was a good woman. Her maiden name was Pierce, Barbara Pierce. She was born in Manhattan in 1925. She was 16 uh, when she met George H.W. Bush. 16 years old. George H.W. Bush was her first kiss and her only kiss. They began their adventure together in 1945. They, They married while George was on leave during World War II. He was a pilot. This past January, Barbara and George celebrated their 73rd wedding anniversary. That makes them the longest married couple in U.S. presidential history. I know both of them. They are remarkable people. I don't think H.W. would have thought that he would be the one that would go second. She was a titan. After the war, the Bushes moved around a lot, 29 times to be exact. 
They eventually settled in Texas, and it was there the first tragedy tested their love for one another and their family. Their daughter, Robin, died of leukemia in 1953. She was three years old. Barbara Bush said, quote, I was combing her hair and holding her hand, and I saw her little body, and I saw the spirit leave. But Barbara and George persevered. Their love, their relationship grew stronger, and in the end, they proudly boasted six children, 14 grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren. They seemed to have been successful in everything that they did, first in Texas, in business, then in politics. Barbara would become the second lady from 1981 to 1989, the first lady from 89 to 93, and then the mother of the president from 2001 to 2009. For many Generation Xers, Barbara Bush was the first First Lady they remember. Her look was iconic. Everyone remembers her white hair and her pearls. Barbara said that her hair was never colored due to her intense love of the outdoors and swimming. I love the fact that she never hid her age. She was always outside enjoying nature. She, she told her granddaughter, Jenna, she said, you know, honey, the pearls, I wear them to cover up wrinkles. Unfortunately, they no longer do because you can't wear pearls all over your face. Barbara's crusade over the years has been universal literacy. She uh, founded the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. She holds honorary degrees from five different universities. I've never seen that woman ever do anything out of character she was always a lady in the end i'm sure she saw her family as her greatest achievement to quote barbara one more time i've been the luckiest woman in the world truthfully and i know it It's Wednesday, April 18th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I have to share a story with you today uh, as the program continues uh, about the last time I saw Barbara Bush. Um, I just... George Bush, 41, uh, we were walking together at his home in Kenny Bunkport, and and Barbara Bush uh, uh, just leaned out of her little golf cart and said, Good morning, boys! And... Uh, President Bush shared with me a story of something that had just happened uh, to him and the then President 43. Uh, and it tells you everything you need to know about Barbara Bush. And I'm, I'll share that a little later on in the uh, programming uh, on the program. Um, also, tonight on The Blaze at 6 p.m. Eastern, we have the premiere of something called Faith Keepers. Uh, it's going to air live at 6 p.m. and after the after the first initial run, then it will be available on demand at theblaze.com. This is a really important uh, movie. Now, this is coming uh, from the Clarion Project. Now, the Clarion Project, you may not remember or know. Do you remember when I was at CNN, I did something called uh, Exposed, the Extremist Agenda. And... It was on headline news at Beat O'Reilly and everything else that night. We were number one, if I don't, if I remember correctly, 
Um, and it was a big deal. But it was also one of the hardest shows I've ever had to produce because CNN fought me on every word. They wanted to make sure that every word was exactly right because they just didn't believe any of this stuff. And as it turned out, every word we had written in the original script went to air because it is true. And we had the backup to prove it. And one of the the big sources that we had was the Clarion Project source or or inspiration. They did a film called Obsession. And if you're a longtime listener of this program, it'd be 12 years now. I said at the time, one of the most important films of our time, it still is. And you should still have it in your library. Now there's a follow up uh, and it's very different in nature. This one is called Faith Keepers and it is showing now um, in documentary fashion the extermination of Christians in the Middle East, specifically Iraq and Syria. But it spreads further than that and why it's so important. Ryan Morrow is uh, with us. He's the associate producer of uh, Faith Keepers. Uh, an extraordinarily difficult film to put together. Uh, and and Ryan, we're thrilled to have it on The Blaze tonight. Sure, Job well done. Thank you so much for having us, and uh, thank you for what you've done to promote Obsession in the past. Uh, it, it's really made such an improvement in our country's dialogue, I think, about these type of issues involving radical Islam, and we hope to do the same thing now and awaken the Church as to what's happening with the genocide against Christians all around the world and make them realize that we also don't have to consider this to be inevitable, that we can stop it and, I would argue, even reverse it. I will tell you, Ryan, I was really impressed that you had um, uh, Rabbi Ayer on. Um, he is the, the, the founder of the Simon Wiesenthal Center for Holocaust uh, Studies, and he came out to my office uh, about two years ago and said the most remarkable thing to me ever he said, would you please stop talking about the persecution of Jews that is going on? And this was right after some you know, Jews were killed in uh, Paris or someplace. And I said, excuse me, Rabbi? And he said, they're coming for you first. And he said, I've got to get our community to pay attention to the, to the Christians and the Christians to pay attention to the persecution of the Christians. And he seems to play a, a, an important role. He's, he's, he's interviewed in this documentary several times. Tell me about your your experience with him. Sure. Well, in terms of the film, what was so important about that was to show that history is repeating itself, even if the victim is a little bit different, but they're all in the same boat and facing the same type of genocidal enemy, no matter what type of name they attach to themselves, what type of ideology. And at Clarion Project, one of the interesting and most powerful things about our organization is that we include Orthodox Jews, we have atheists, we have Christians like myself, and we have Muslims like Zudi Jasser is on our board. And so we all see how the, the commonalities that we all have in facing this type of hatred, and we're all concerned about it happening to any one of us. Uh, regardless of whether we share that person's faith. And so we have, that's why we have Jews and Muslims all shouting from the rooftop saying, we've got to stop the genocide of Christians. And I've got to tell you, in many ways it's increasing in ways beyond just the typical blowing up Christians, killing them, videotaping it, because not all enemies of ours videotape and broadcast their crimes. So um, 
you you went over to the Middle East and I would imagine had exactly the same feeling that I did um, because I can feel it in the way you put this film together. Um, while this is a really dark subject, um, there is this is one of the more hopeful films I have seen. I honestly, the first time I saw this, I thought to myself, I am going home and I am sitting my children down and all of us are watching this. My older children, my younger children were all watching this because this is what faith and this is what it means to be a Christian. And they have no examples of that in their life. I think here in America, I think persecution does something for people that of faith and their relationship with God that is hard for anyone to describe, including myself, because I haven't faced that type of persecution. I've only talked to people and seen uh, the results of it. So when I was in Iraq in the destroyed Christian areas very shortly after ISIS was removed from the area, and then Christians in the area had to rely upon Iranian-backed militias for mm. safety, so that's the type of position that they're in, the hope that they had was just really humbling because... In my world in America, I don't know if I could muster that. I mean, they're looking around at destroyed churches, and they point to a painting of Jesus, which would have been one of the first things that ISIS would have been, according to their ideology, required to destroy. And yet they found that on the very premise of the church that ISIS burned and used as a training ground to kill more Christians. And so they're able to see these things as signs uh, from God to say, continue on. You're going to rebuild that church, and you're going to have a bigger congregation than you had before. Uh, but I was also r- really humbled and, and discouraged, I would say, uh, by the question of how can we help you? And the Christians in the area would say, this is a problem. It's easy. We feel like the church knows there's a genocide going on, but they don't talk about it. They don't pray about it, or they don't study it. They don't see the gravity of it. And the church has the infrastructure to put an end to this relatively easily and to reverse it. And they said, look, if you're uncomfortable sending money, then you can send your construction workers. You can send the materials. You can help us rebuild the economy, learn the local languages. There's a million different things that we can do if the church's brain matches its heart, and they start putting ideas forth, and that's what Faith Keepers is really designed to do, to be something that all churches and and even entities besides churches uh, watch, and then they brainstorm and say, uh, in addition to financial support, how can we get this going? And so uh, we really are offering a a two-part thing for your listeners, uh, which is the first obsession. We're giving away 5,000 free copies today, including shipping, if you go to clarionproject.org for the first 5,000. And we just ask that you show it to people, try to have an event at uh, your church or at your political club, college, whatever. And we're also offering Faith Keepers for only five ninety nine for the day if you go to clarionproject.org. And we're just trusting you that you're not going to watch it just for your own education, that you're going to become part of this movement. I will tell you, um, Ryan, that um, when I was over in the Middle East, when I said, what can we do to help, um, they said, make the world see us. Uh, and that is that is truly the biggest problem here. There, there is there is no one in the media that is um, incentivized to show you this. Um, th- this is politically incorrect, and it's hard to look at. But you've made this this um, this uh, movie that is really easy to watch. It does have you know the darkest parts of you know the the kidnappings and everything else, but it's told in such a hopeful and bright way that it's easy to look at. 
And I'm, I'm asking every single person within the sound of my voice. You, if you're a Blaze subscriber, watch it tonight at 6 o'clock or right after it airs. It will go uh, into on demand. But watch it. If you have a membership, uh, great. If you don't, you can sign up and watch it. If you want to actually be engaged, I ask you now to go to clarionproject.org, clarionproject.org, and get this movie. It's five ninety nine. That's I think like ten bucks off. It's five ninety nine. All we're asking is that you have a group of neighbors, of friends, or your church, and you get people together and you watch this movie. If you if you also want for free, you can get Obsession, which is so clarifying on what is actually happening in the Middle East, who our enemy actually is. It's very politically incorrect, and it has footage that you will never see on mainstream television, ever. But it is so critically important. You can get it for free right now. No strings attached. Also, you can get the uh, Faith Keepers, which is what's happening right now to our Christian community in the Middle East. And you can get that for five ninety nine. We ask the string here is that you show it to people and you wake people up in the churches. If the church remains asleep, we could lose Christianity in the Middle East. And another Holocaust is already begun and it will continue down until the world wakes from their slumber. Ryan, thank you so much for this movie. Uh, really very powerful. Um, you know, I was, um, I was amazed at the children that told the stories of, of what they've gone through and how, hmm, uh, I can't say well-adjusted uh, they are because I know there's lots of pain still there, but how it's just part of their life. Does that make sense? Right, that they have to find enjoyment in the little things because that's all that they have. And it really makes you look at your own life and say, and kind of have a spiritual awakening where you say, look at the things I'm complaining about yes. in my life. Um, how spoiled am I? Yes. And even my own relationship with God, my own spirituality, I mean, how weak is it when I look over at what they're going through and what they're willing to sacrifice? What, what is it that goes on over there that gives them this relationship that is stronger than my own? Uh, there's something very special there. And I've also got to say, part of the reason for this increased persecution that's going on, that I genuinely believe, is because on the underground level, uh, Christianity is spreading in places like Iran, uh, probably also yes. Turkey. And, and so that's the silver lining here, is that there really is a lot of hope. Ryan Morrow from The Clarion Project. The name of the movie is Faith Keepers. It premieres tonight on The Blaze at 6 p.m. You don't want to miss this. Please gather your family and watch this. Um, and uh, it's available on demand right after the first airing. Then go to theclarionproject.org. Get the movie. Get Obsession for free. The movie that kind of started it all. And now Faith Keepers for $5.99 with the understanding that with Faith Keepers... You will share it with someone else. First 5,000 people, be one of those people right now. All right. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. We're thrilled to have Filter By. Um, 
you know, if you are if you are doing what Stu just did and sneezing, boy, is there a worse place? I turned for, my mic off and everything. I know. Is, didn't know. Is there a worse place in America for allergies in Texas? It's really rough. Yeah. That's why you have to change your filters. I, yeah. I'm usually too lazy to do it. Yeah. But here, I mean, you have to do it. Yeah, I don't. Change the filters. Would never. That wouldn't even cross my mind. No, that's, that's why filter by is great. Yes. They just do all the work for you. They <laughs> set it is. all to you. You don't have to think it about is. it. You get this box. You're like. Honey, what the hell is this? It's an air filter. Oh. Oh, is it that time again? It's that time. Uh-oh. Where does it go again? <laughs> anyway, filter by. They don't put it in for you, but they do everything else. They're America's <laughs> leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses because they make it really easy to improve the quality of the air that you breathe. In Texas, Man, you pull those filters out, and they're just black and green yeah. uh, with uh, all kinds of nasty stuff in it. It will save you a ton of money because it reduces wear and tear on your HVAC system, and it helps your allergies. All of the air filters made here in America ship for free within 24 hours. You can even set up auto delivery and save 5%. Go to filterbuy.com. That's filterbuy.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I've got good news. Our first robot is uh, running for mayor. He's uh, running for a position of mayor in Tokyo, and he's promising to be fair and balanced. Uh, he said, uh, you know, he has artificial intelligence, and he's the first artificial intelligence candidate. Uh, and um, he said that uh, it's going to be, he'll be the world's first in fairness and balance. So we can just have, you know, a robot uh, bring us justice. And I think that's a great idea. I think we automate the whole thing. And I, Again, I'm, I've been pro-Matrix for a long time. You have? The idea that you can kind of just lay down in a bath of goo. No. I, uh, and look, they mine our brains. I am for the Matrix, but the world has to be better than what the Matrix was. Well, remember, they tried that. If, if you remember in the documentary, The <laughs> Matrix, if you don't know the, the documentary we're talking about, <laughs> um, they tried to make the world perfect, but the humans resisted it, so they had to make I it crappy. Resist. I won't resist. I will I, not resist. I'm going to like it. Yeah. Try it again. It's try. just like communism. The first time it did try it, try it again. Just try keep it again. trying just, it until it works. Keep trying with good things. Just make my life blissful, happy. I'm I'm there. I'm I'm in the Glenn I'm in the goo. Beck. I'm in the pod. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck program. Stu, how old are you? Thirty plus twelve. You're not. You're forty two. Forty two. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. So what's your first memory? Or who's your first first lady that you really remember? Was it Nancy or was it Barbara? Uh, Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan. Yeah. I uh, was, yeah. I mean, I remember the, you know, say, just say no stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't remember a lot of the politics necessarily mm-hmm. associated with all of that, but mm-hmm. I do remember her. She was a great lady, too. I really liked her. But Barbara Bush, I think, is one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest first ladies we've ever had. Uh, I mean, she was all class. The, the Bush family, um, they never dishonored um, the the presidency, I, I, at least in my opinion. Um, they, they always treated the presidency as something that was not theirs, 
but they were stewards of. Uh, and, and Barbara Bush was truly remarkable. I have to tell a story that um, that happened to me. It was the one-year anniversary of 9-11. So this was 2002, September 11, 2002. And you were there, weren't you? Didn't you come up uh, with To Kennebunkport? Yes. Yes, so yeah. we did uh, the, God, the most, one of the most torturous uh, professional moments of my life. Of, yeah. uh, we went up there with no notice to do an interview with George H.W. Bush to their house in Kennebunkport. One and of the with, f- I had to produce the thing with equipment I had never used or seen before. Yeah. And so I had w- to learn it all overnight. Yeah. Oh, God. And we had to drive up. We took the train someplace, and then we had to drive up to, to Boston. Kenny, mm-hmm. To Boston. And it was in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. It was completely foggy, and it was the first time we had ever used GPS. We had never seen. It was Hertz <laughs> Never Lost, remember? Yeah. Think, and yeah, yeah. we were, were, if it wasn't for that, we would have never shown up because we just had no idea where we were going. I had just flown in from some place around the world or someplace, and we hadn't even talked about it. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I remember driving, and it's like, at the next roundabout, take the fourth turn. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, which one? is that? Was that 3 or was that 5? Uh, and... <laughs> So we uh, we finally get to Kenny Bunkport, and it's early in the morning, and um, we do the interview with George H.W. Bush, and he's just great. And we're walking back uh, towards the house, and Barbara, I don't remember if she was in a golf cart or if it was a car, but I remember she had her foot out, almost like she was going to jump out, <laughs> you know, uh, jump out of the car and just let it keep rolling. But she uh, she had uh, the door kicked open uh, because she had just gone and cut a whole bunch of hydrangeas. And it was early in the morning, so the dew was all on yeah. her. Uh-huh. And so she's trying to keep the hydrangeas out of the car and away from her so she doesn't get all wet from the dew. And she just drives by and she says, morning, boys. <laughs> and we just I just love her. She's just so great. A weird moment. It was a weird moment. And um, I said, uh, she's a tough old bird. And uh, I think it was HW. And he said, you don't know the half of it. She runs the place. And I said, I bet she does. And uh, he said, you know, we just had a problem. Uh, We all got our butts kicked. She called, uh, you know, two presidents and the Secret Service. And she said, get your butts into the house. I want to talk to you. And George W. was on the speakerphone, and H.W. was in the room, and the head of the Secret Service was in the room, and she started wagging her finger because she had told George H.W. when they left the White House, no more Secret Service. I've lived with it for too long. I want to be a normal human being. No more Secret Service. And he's like, honey, we need Secret Service. Not me. I don't want it. I'm not living in a cage anymore. So she didn't have it. But then when George W. got into office, she needed it, and especially after 9-11. And if you remember right, Saddam Hussein had targeted the Bush, you know, the HWs uh, at Kenny Bunkport, if I'm not mistaken, and they were trying to kill them. And so they had to have security. And so W is in office and he's like, Mom, look, here's the evidence. They're trying to kill you and dad. You have to have Secret Service protection. And she's like, nope, 
You can put all that fancy stuff in the yard, and, and he was pointing to it. You know, you can put all this fancy stuff in the yard. You can do whatever you want, but no one is to shadow me. No one. I want my life back. And so she walked out of the room, and the two presidents looked at each other and said, okay, son, just do what you have to do, but do not get caught by her doing it. <laughs> so the poor Secret Service were told, you can shadow her, but don't ever let her see you. If she catches you, you're on your own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they got away with it for a couple of months. And she went out shopping one day. She took the car in Kenny Bunkport and she went out shopping. And uh, she is out and she's just doing her thing. She's coming back. She has a tail. Okay. She hasn't caught them, but it's a new guy who just started. I think it was the first time that he had gone out. And uh, so just because of his training, part of the deal of the Secret Service is you make the, the, you know, the protectorate, the, you know, make their life easier. And so he just called ahead and said, you know, whatever her code name was, you know, uh, Barbara's on her way back. Open the gate. Well, she comes around the corner and the gate is open. And she slams on her brakes and she goes right to the guard gate and she says, uh, excuse me, why is this gate opening? Open. He said, uh, 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 it's just open. She said, stay right there. She turned around, she crossed her arms, and she stood in the driveway waiting for the tail that she knew was on her now to pull up. The guy pulls up, sees her, and like slams on the brakes. He's like, uh, and she walks over to the door, you're tailing me. Um, I, I, um, <laughs> she calls a family council, and she reads these two presidents the riot act. This woman was steel. She was steel. She knew who she was. She knew what she wanted. And uh, and she ran, a, I think she ran a great household. But make no mistake, even in a house with two presidents, she was still the boss. So a couple of other things that we should uh, address today. Uh, Starbucks situation has gone bad from bad to worse. Chick-fil-A is doing all kinds of magic, Christian magic on people in New York. And we'll give you an update on that. Should we, go ahead. Should we talk about Scott Purdy as well? Scott Purdy, Scott Purdy, Scott Purdy. Well, uh, he had a pretty amazing thing that happened to him. Do you take uh, Lyrica by any chance? The uh, painkiller? Uh, used to. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Be some interesting news breaking on the program soon. Uh, Scott Purdy, uh, he hurt himself. He had a, a go-karting accident, mm -hmm. and he broke his foot. Mm -hmm. And he uh, went on Lyrica. Mm -hmm. And then he claims he's had some changes <laughs> okay. since he went on Lyrica. Yes, all right. He uh, has become uh, more open. More open. And uh, not bothered what people think or say. Oh, boy. Which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, uh, has had some changes in his personal life. Mm. 
he was with a girlfriend that he had been with for about six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, he decided to uh, break up with her. Why? Why? Uh, well, he quote uh, noticed his libido for women had 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 gone away, and he was wanting male attention. Hmm. He uh, decided. You're not saying that that's a. You're not saying that that's a drug effect, are you? It's, I'm not saying Scott Purdy. Okay, is saying that, saying that he broke his leg, mm-hmm. was dating a woman, mm-hmm. went on Lyrica, mm-hmm. now is gay. <laughs> He's now attracted to men. Hey, fluoride makes frogs gay. I've heard that someplace. <laughs> is it fluoride? I think it's the fluoride it's in the making water. The making, making the freaking frogs gay. Making the freaking frogs gay. Yeah. So he's he's actually very excited about this change. I don't. Mm. You know, he says it's okay. uh, it's made him who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, has he thought of getting off of Lyrica before he commits to anything? <laughs> it does seem like. Yeah, I mean, it might be. Hmm. It might be a good idea. You know. Uh, Wait right there for maybe two to four weeks. <laughs> and if I come back, we'll consummate the deal. <laughs> Big news. In the last two weeks, Simply Safe has won the Editor's Choice Awards from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and Wirecutter. These are the three respected product testers for things that are new and high tech. They put Simply Safe through a battery of uh, tests, all kinds of tests, compared it to other home security products. Simply Safe won every single time. I've been telling you about Simply Safe for years, and that's because I think they are just the best, and they've 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 cut the cord and they've cut the strings to the contracts. That's why um, I, I don't think that there's there's anybody else out there that is any better by any stretch of the imagination and now we have you know three expert reviewers saying exactly the same thing giving them the editor's choice award it's home security system that you actually want in your home the sensors are really tiny you won't notice them uh, but they notice the intruders it protects your privacy you own absolutely everything uh, and you can cancel at any time because there's no contract and the 24-7 professional monitoring is only $14.95 a month. So you want the best of the best. You want your family safe and protected. You want to be in control of your own life and your own expenses. It's simplysafebeck.com. Go there today and take an additional 10% off. Simplysafebeck.com. Join Glenn, Stu, Pat Gray, Doc Thompson, and Sarah Gonzalez weeknights at 5.30 Eastern on the news and why it matters. Tweet us your questions using the hashtag TheBlazeY and tune into the show to hear the answers at TheBlaze.com slash TV. Glenn Beck Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program presents Retrospective. Retrospective. On today's episode, William Howard Taft, born in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1857, grew up to become America's 27th president. He died in 1930. He was overweight. This has been Retrospective, Retrospective. of the Glenn Beck Program. Sure that- you know, you don't go away empty-handed today that you've learned something uh, on every uh, 
on every program you're going to learn something. You don't think it's as important to say that Barbara Bush is the only woman with a husband and son that was president of the United States, except for Abigail uh, Adams. Adams. Yeah, yeah, Abigail Adams. That's a, maybe more relevant than the William Howard Taft is overweight uh, mm. factoid. But he was, mm. uh, in fact, overweight. overweight. Tell me one thing about Taft other than uh, he was fat and the bathtub thing, because those are related. One thing. Well, he was fat in the bathtub. No, they're related. You can't use bathtub or fat on William Howard Taft. That's why we used he was overweight. overweight. It's still. still, (laughs) Tell me one thing. I don't. You know it. Come on. I don't. You're going to kick kick yourself. I mean, I probably do know it, but I don't. You know it. It's an easy one. Everybody knows it. Okay. (laughs) Can you, I mean. Yeah, his name rhymes with Raft. Ah, I knew that too. Yeah. I did know that. You're right. Ah! (laughs) It was right there. So I don't know. That is really it. I don't know anything about him other than he's fat. Wouldn't that be sad that you were remembered as fat? You were the president. (laughs) And you're only remembered for being fat. And the bathtub, which I don't even know if that's true or not. Is that true? What, that he was overweight? Yes, no, he was. No, no about uh, the bathtub, quite. that they put a big, huge bathtub in there because he was so fat. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's even true. I don't know. The retrospective didn't even cover it. They didn't just said he the was bathtub. overweight. Yeah, yeah. Which would indicate he might need a larger bathtub, but does not guarantee it. Hey, can we give everybody a... a, a we could, can we just cut everybody some slack? Hey, did you hear about the mom who was in the grocery store with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Yes, uh, so the kid is right and wants some food, is in the cart, right? Sitting in the, in the cart. cart. It's Monday. She gives him a PB&J. Yep, and she just reaches in her purse, gives him a little PB&J sandwich. Uh, it's a four-year-old daughter, so she's sitting there um, eating, and a woman stopped and lectured about peanut allergies. And she was like, oh, yeah, sorry, I, I okay, didn't think about that. So, she's, so she writes about that on her blog. And um, here's what people said to her. Your total disdain for safety of other kids is awful. (laughs) Feeding your kid a PB&J in a Target shopping cart is the epitome of lowbrow. For the love of God, at least feed her in the car if you absolutely can't feed her at home. Everything about your post (laughs) is vile. (laughs) Another one. You're the worst kind of person. Jeez. We suck as a society. It's not impossible to feed your child before or after putting them in a shopping cart, especially peanut butter. You're awful. Come on. <laughs> this is uh, uh, addicted to outrage once again. It really again. is. Just you're looking for something to make you feel alive that you can be angry about. What are you angry? You're, I mean, look, I understand if your kid has a peanut allergy, you're going to be sensitive over that. But you have to understand that you're the one that's different here, right? Like you have to look at this and say, hey... You know, I have to make sure that every time, I'm sure, if you're a parent of someone with a severe peanut allergy, every time... You have to wipe carts looking, down. You're wiping carts down. You're making sure that there's no... I mean, you are probably doing a lot of, of work on let that. Let me tell you something. What kind of bad parent doesn't wipe down a cart with some sort of Clorox wipe? I mean, just the disease and the germs on those things. I mean, you're a bad <laughs> parent if you don't do it. In Can fact, I'm going to trash you on a message board right now about what a terrible parent you are terrible if you don't do parent. that. Uh, no, I mean, I, look, I can see, I can see how you, if you, especially if you have a kid with allergies like that, that it would be scary. But can I tell you something? If you would have, the child would have been given a shrimp cocktail other than being an elitist, nobody would have said anything. Four times as many kids are allergic to seafood Hmm. than they are 
peanut butter. But for some reason, peanut butter is a flashpoint. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. The good senator from uh, Kentucky, Rand Paul, uh, joins us now. He's got a new proposal on uh, the budget that he says can reduce our deficit and get us into line um, fairly quickly. He's here to tell us about it. Rand? Hey, Glenn. Yeah, I thought there ought to be still some conservatives who are for balancing the budget (laughs) and actually would introduce something like a balanced budget. So we read the rules around here, and we discovered that if the Republican leadership doesn't do their job and doesn't introduce a budget, then anybody can. And so we wrote our own budget. It balances in five years by using the penny plan. We cut 1% across the board for five years. It balances. And then we've added what they call reconciliation instructions so we can do with a simple majority. We're going to expand health savings accounts bigger and broader than anybody's ever contemplated so we can get a real marketplace in healthcare and drive prices down. But are you going to be able to have this even introduced? I mean, McConnell controls what's what's going to be you know coming That's to the, the floor. That's the interesting thing about the rules. Since they did not do their job and they're not going to introduce a budget, mine is a privileged motion and it will get a vote. Now, I can't make these people vote for something like a balanced budget, but I can sure the heck shame them by sticking it right in front of their face and saying, you have to vote up or down down on whether or not you're for balancing the budget. And guess what? About all the Democrats will vote no. We know that. But about half the Republicans, or a little more than half, will vote against this proposal. And it'll be defeated because Republicans don't have the spine to actually vote to cut any spending. How can you disagree with a 1% uh, cut across the board? I mean, that's exactly my point. How 1%, can you possibly there's one percent waste in every government program up here? Yes. Even if you love the government program, even if you say, well, the federal government needs to be in charge of, of uh, national defense. I'm with you. But I think we can have a strong defense and cut one percent, because I think what it does, like right now, there's three billion dollars a year being spent in Afghanistan in the last three years. I think they found three billion that's unaccounted for just right. in Afghanistan. I mean, you if you have a never-ending supply of cash, you sometimes don't appreciate it until you're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got to watch where every penny is going here. There's there's $28 million missing in uniforms. Somebody was supposed to get uniforms. I don't know who got the uniforms, but somebody got the $28 million. This is just in Afghanistan. $700 million in ammunition. So that's pretty dangerous if you don't know who got the ammunition. So what if the ammunition actually went to the enemy? You know, they can't account for it. So $700 million was misplaced that was supposed to buy ammunition just in Afghanistan. So absolutely they need, they, you know, they need to be audited and a 1% across-the-board cut. Um, and if you don't want to do it, the interesting thing about the way I've written my budget is let's say you don't want to cut the military at all and you're willing to cut uh, – Four or five percent of everything else, they can do that too. But if they don't come up with a plan, then it would be a one percent across the board. So, Rand, I feel like all of these weasels or you know rats are jumping the ship from uh, the GOP and getting out while the getting is good because they know what they've they've done and they know what's coming. Um, a significant pushback from the voters on on business as usual there. Uh, but I can't well, I can't help but think they're <laughs> leaving us with economic disasters 
and they're going to get their pension. They're going to be fine. They'll get their sweet job. And who's who's going to come in and change anything? Well, I think what it is is they all want to get their plum lobbying jobs, and the sooner they get out of Congress, the sooner they can get their million-dollar-a-year lobbying job. And I think they think that they might as well do it while they're in the majority because they've gone from a position of power to a, a position of uh, sort of uh, crony capitalist corruption, which is really the, the racket in lobbying. So I personally would make a rule that you can't go from Congress to lobbying. I would just have a lifetime ban. And a few years ago, I tried to introduce that, and you would not believe the pushback I got oh, I when I tried to introduce a ban on lobbying for, by members of Congress. And so uh, that's it. But the thing is, is... You know, the battle for the country goes on. The battle for the heart and soul of the country goes on. Conservatives have to have some movement. We can't just say, oh, it's done. We're now in power, so we are no longer conservative. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Republicans are the conservative party when they're in the minority. But then once they're in the majority, there is no conservative party. And that's where we are now, unless some of us speak up and say, we're not voting for the massive spending increases. We're not voting for trillion-dollar deficits. And by golly, we're not just going to play a game and introduce the, the budget, balanced budget amendment. We're actually going to introduce balanced budget. When are you, when are you introducing this? It'll be introduced uh, this week. And the vote, we're not sure exactly when it comes, but we believe they cannot prevent us from having a vote, hopefully within the next few weeks. All right. Um, we'll follow it, and we'll make sure that the uh, audience follows it. Let me ask you a couple of other um, questions. First, on Syria. Um, you you said um, yesterday something that I think is being used uh, in two different ways, and I want you to clarify where you stand. You you said we don't have any evidence that uh, Syria actually used these chemical weapons. Are you are you saying, look, we've had mistakes in intelligence before. Let's get it right, and let's make sure we get it right. Or are you saying, uh, you know? It's this looks like a false flag. It looks like a British uh, setup or or one of these things that is is also being spouted by some on the on the on the right. I wanted to make two points yesterday. One point is that it doesn't make any sense for Assad. He's been winning the war for two or three years. He's actually more secure in his position right now than he's been. The only thing that can galvanize Western opposition to him is chemical weapons. So you have to scratch your head and say he's either the dumbest dictator on the planet to use chemical weapons uh, when traditional weapons kill as many or more people, and can have the same effect. So he's either the dumbest dictator on the planet or he didn't do it. Now, yesterday I said I had not seen any evidence, and we had had no briefings. Yesterday afternoon, though, after those interviews, I did have a briefing. We were not presented with detailed evidence of it, but we were presented with the conclusions of our intelligence community that said he did it. The hard part about this is they're making a conclusion before we've had any samples taken of, of anything. They, there are some groups on the ground that will take samples today, and I don't know that there is, was any evidence pre, uh, presented that either Russia or Iran were complicit in this. They are involved with the Syrian government, but there's no evidence that they were complicit. The question I ask, uh, and the, this is not a classified question or an answer, is why uh, do you think, what do you th think would be Assad's reasoning for doing something that galvanizes the world's opposition to him when he appears to be winning by not using chemical weapons? And uh, I they think, hang on, perhaps, go ahead, go ahead, said, go ahead. 
They said perhaps other people could have made the decision at a lower level, you know, like some other general makes it, maybe Assad doesn't do it. But nobody really had a good explanation for why he would do something I, I have one. That, brings on, that brings on so much uh, uh, unanimity of the world against him. I have one. Um, the group that he uh, targeted, allegedly, uh, is a group that had been hunkered down. Uh, they have extensive uh, resources underground. And it is the last stronghold that that was really holding out because he is winning. But these were fight until the death kind of uh, people that had really prepared this whole section. Uh, and the the estimates were that it was going to take about a year to be able to fight their way through. And the the question is, if you can use chemical weapons in the same way, in some ways, that we used uh, the atomic bomb in Japan, and it will get them to surrender, uh, maybe it's worth doing. That group that had just the week before said, we're not surrendering, they surrendered the very next day. Yeah, and there was a few hundred of them, so it doesn't sound that formidable, but I think your explanation could possibly be right. So I'm not saying they did or didn't use them. I'm just saying it doesn't make a lot of logical sense for them to do it. But you're right. The rebels did end up leaving the, under a truce. I don't know that they surrendered. They left yes. the area. Yes. I don't know, know that they uh, turned themselves over as prisoners. Yes. Um, the other things that are perplexing ab uh, about this is I don't think the rebels actually lived in that community. So the rebels weren't liked uh, by the people living there either. Um, but uh, you're right. In the end, the Assad got the result, and perhaps Assad calculates that the response by the U.S. will be a pinprick and that maybe the cruise missiles do blow up some buildings, but they don't necessarily uh, you know, have enough punishment that they feel it's that they've yeah. been so punished that it wasn't worth it to them. So maybe they do judge it and say that, well, yeah, the world will react, they'll drop a few bombs, and then we'll go on our merry way, but we got rid of those rebels in that area. So there's a possibility that they do look at it and say that strategically it is in their interest. So you, you've also said that you are um, not going to support uh, Mike Pompeo for the Secretary of State. There's news coming out today that he has already met with Kim Jong-un um, and is now in kind of in the middle of, uh, you know, what, what is being described by some as, you know, our last chance for peace. Um, it, does that change your calculus at all? And if not, why? It, it, I think it heartens me that uh, President Trump has, uh, has envoys going to speak with North Korea um, in my conversations with the president, I've always advocated that we should try to seek a non-military solution to North Korea, if at all yeah. possible. So I, I'm, I'm heartened by it on the fact that the president, you know, directed this. Um, with regard to Congressman or Director Pompeo, my main objection is sort of that he I'm not so sure that he agrees with Trump and that he will he let Trump be Trump or will he be advising him in a way that goes against the, the better instinct. So, for example, President Trump has always said that the Iraq war was a huge mistake and strategic blunder for the country. Pompeo's never expressed that and really has expressed the opposite views. On Afghanistan, the president has said, we completed our mission, and he's advocated many times for coming home. Pompeo has the opposite opinion that we should stay. And uh, the same with Syria. You know, the president has talked about actually coming home as soon as two weeks before until we had this uh, chemical weapons, uh, you know, attack that sort of, uh, I think, allowed us to stay more. And so 
really, in the end, I think it would be better, the president would be better served if he had people around him who um, were actually sort of more in line with his thinking and less opposed to, to the, I think, the unique aspect that the president brings to foreign policy. I'm, I'm really concerned when uh, Congress really didn't pay any attention, the Senate didn't really pay any attention to uh, the um, uh, Bernie Sanders, Mike Lee bill to 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 demand uh, an end or uh, or an authorization for this shadow war that we're running in in Yemen. It doesn't seem like Congress has any intention of being held accountable for anything, nor nor well, want Bernie to. Sanders be. made you know he. Do, I don't often agree with Bernie Sanders, but he made a great point. He says, "You conservatives, you care about the Constitution, you spout it all the time when it comes to economic issues, but then when it comes to foreign policy, you completely ignore the Constitution." He has a point. Other than a few of us, Mike Lee and a few others. Uh, on foreign policy, very few people think that Congress has to authorize war, but our founding fathers were unanimous in this. Every one of the founding fathers wrote or spoke out and said that they did not want the power to rest in the hands of the president, that it was too important, too much power, and they vested that power in the Constitution, but they did that on purpose, and uh, um, virtually no one up here uh, is still trying to adhere to the original meaning of the Constitution yeah. as the founders intended it. I, I will tell you that I, uh, I mean, I, I want the president to be able to move if he needs to be able to move, but 30 days goes by. Boy, Congress has has got to be able to say, no, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, I was, I, I really thought that uh, President Trump should have, even gone to Congress for advice and consent on uh, on Syria. We are we are dangerously close to uh, war with Putin, and that doesn't work for anybody. That's not good. Well, think about it. People say, "Oh, Congress is so ineffectual and gridlock." Da da da. They can't do anything. But think about it. When we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. The president came the next morning, and virtually unanimously, Congress voted on the spot to declare war on Japan. Um, after 9-11, when President yeah. uh, George W. Bush came to Congress, virtually unanimous once again to go to war with the people who, who attacked us on 9-11. So I think actually our country can come together. We're much stronger when we come together like that. We're much stronger when we have a vote at the outset that we're going to war. But all this other messy stuff, you know, in Yemen, they say, oh, we're not really at war because we're not dropping the bombs. The Saudis are dropping the bombs, but we're refueling their planes. And the people on the receiving end of the bombs, you know, they, they don't say, oh, this is kinetic action. We're not really being bombed. They think uh, we're at war with them. It's the same, the same kind of thinking that has gotten us into so much trouble in the Middle East by saying we're not doing the torture. It's Egypt that's doing the torture. Yeah, right. but and here's the here's the really sad thing. Almost everybody now, including Pompeo, including President Trump, say there is no military solution in Afghanistan. There is no military solution in Syria and there is no military solution in Yemen. And so my point to them yesterday and to a couple of the guys from the State Department yesterday, as I asked, how do you think that goes for the guy down at the recruiting station? As you saying, hey, please sign up for the infantry. We need you for our war. Now, we're not planning on winning, but what we want to do is if we take one more village back from the Taliban, maybe they'll negotiate with us and we'll get a negotiated settlement. But we need you to take that last village. It sounds a lot like Vietnam. You know, take one more village, give it up, take it, take it again, give it up. But we're really not trying to defeat the enemy. We are trying to get to a point of negotiation. And I realize a lot of war ends with negotiation. But I think if we've already acknowledged that, we need to be doing a little bit more negotiating right now and a little more diplomacy and a little bit less sending of our GIs everywhere. Thank you so much, Senator Rand Paul. Uh, we will watch for his uh, 
his uh, budget that is going to be released later this week and voted on in the next two. Another big data breach happened. It was recently reported that hackers stole information for more than 5 million credit card and debit cards used for in-store purchases at Saks Fifth Avenue, Saks Off Fifth, and Lord & Taylor stores. Now, if that's you, your information is probably on sale in the dark web. It went on sale as soon as the breach went viral. There are so many threats in today's connected world that it takes one weak link for criminals to get in. One credit card action. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats of your identity and devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you have a problem, they have the agents who are going to work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all all cyber threats or prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But... The new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover threats you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code BECK. Get your additional 10% off your first year. It's promo code BECK at LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We're total geeks. We're having a uh, constitutional war powers uh, conversation off air. We'll get to it because it is it is it's not what you th- it's not what you think it is. Uh, and we've we've let the Constitution just bleed all out to where it really doesn't have any meaning anymore. Well, and this is Congress's fault because Congress never steps up and takes responsibility here's an idea to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is the same with trade. Uh, the, the Constitution says Congress should be dealing with trade. The, the president Not should the president. be setting tariffs. No. That, that's something Congress is supposed to do. But Congress just says, well, we don't really want to be held responsible for it, so you do it. And there's the, and the same thing with war. Again, like this I think... The could, one th- this is the one loophole that I don't think the founders foresaw. They didn't foresee people gladly giving their power away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and ignoring these things. Yeah. Because that's what they do. They just sign, well, well, we are exercising our right by giving that decision-making power to the president. Right. We've decided. We have. It's We've made the decision. We don't want to decide. You don't have the right to do that. The Constitution lays out how this system works. You don't have the right to do that. And, and I, I agree with that. And then you look at the War Powers Act, because a lot of our War Powers Resolution, where people typically go to... When they say 60 to 90 days, what Rand Paul was talking about is true in that, like, really, you're not supposed to do it at all. But what people will say, you have 60 to 90 days to essentially react. Well, that's true, except for the fact that it's very specific what what circumstances lead you to have that ability, which is a congressional declaration, a congressional legislative power under necessary and proper clause. And then finally, the one we've been always dealing with presidential executive power as commander in chief, but with a limitation. What's the limitation? the limitation? Can either be, here's the three circumstances that you okay. can do this. One, a declaration of war. We don't have that. Mm-hmm. Two, specific statutory authorization. Now, you could stretch that from 9-11 and say anything in the entire world can be utilized that's this way. And the that's Patriot one of the ways. one of the ways they're doing that. Yeah. And three, a national emergency created by attack upon the United States, its territories, possessions, that's or armed forces. also covered under 9-11. But again, right, like you can stretch, but there's not yes. been an attack <laughs> here on, like a Syrian chemical attack on Syrians 
does not is not an attack on the United States. And we keep viewing it through that lens because we think a chemical attack by Syrians on Syrians is really bad, which it is. That does not give us the power. There's not a really bad clause in the Constitution. Well, I'll throw this stuff out if you feel really angry about it. That's not in there. And we continually put that in there, which is a problem. Again, I think I think if you went to Congress and you said, hey, look, uh, they just, you know, this chemical weapons attack, we need to do something. You're probably going to get approval for that anyway. Mm-hmm. They still don't bother with it. We're going to go to why people who say that uh, Syria didn't have a reason to drop this chemical weapon. Why I think they're wrong. The evidence coming up in a second. Glenn Beck. Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. I love this Southwest pilot that landed the plane yesterday. Engine blows up. Somebody is unfortunately sucked through a window. A passenger pulls her back in, but she's already dead. And uh, she's landing the plane. And, you know, they they don't know if they're going to make it. And she just says, uh, uh, can you just make sure that medical personnel is, I mean, you hear her just speak. Do we have the audio? Yeah, Yeah, listen to this audio. This is great. Start looking for the airport. It's off to your right and slightly behind you there. And uh, altitude is your discretion. Use caution for the uh, downtown area. Maintain, uh, advise you to maintain at about 2,200 for the uh, MVA. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you? is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing. totally crap and just like matter of fact like yeah it's another day in the office yeah it's not on fire just parts of it are missing (laughs) i remember too there was there was one airline i don't remember which one it was that had you know you have the like in in plane like radio stations you can kind of flip through Mm -hmm. there's like classical and yeah yeah yeah. one of them was the in cabin feed yeah where you could hear the actual pilots talking can you imagine listening to her say yeah it's not on fire but it's some of the planes missing uh, no, but I can't imagine. I think I would be more freaked out by the big hole in this. Wow. I'm there in the cabin yeah. where I could see the hole yes, that's and the passenger who was just dragged back in. But you don't know. I mean, you yeah. can't see all the damage that's been done to yeah. the plane. You don't know. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Pretty incredible. She's, she's remarkable. And she said that it's her, her Christian faith that has pulled her through all of this. She's a remarkable woman. One of the first female Air Force pilots I had heard. I think maybe the first. Maybe the first. Yeah. Uh, so a really amazing history and story. So uh, Jason Petrillo is with us, and he is uh, uh, he's former military intel and you know our geopolitical uh, kind of watchdog and researcher. And uh, we were talking to Rand Paul before the break uh, about Syria, and he said this what i think is just a, a little ignorant when i hear it from from people um uh that that Assad had no reason to drop these chemical weapons i think rand paul gave me one reason himself where he said yeah he might have done the calculation that they would just probably drop a few missiles and then we'd move on with our lives that's exactly what i think but there's more and i was glad to hear that rand paul knew about the rebels I was incredibly surprised that, that he knew about it because most people in the West have never even heard of this rebel group. And that rebel group, uh, for all the nerds out there, is Jaish al-Islam. 
and they're and one of a gazillion other rebel groups uh, within Syria. But what makes them very specific is they are right outside the old city in Damascus. So what would be the equivalent? Uh, old town um, Alexandria across the river from uh, Washington, D.C. Perfect. So imagine if there were rebels trying to do an insurrection or guerrilla movement against our government. That is how close they would be to the nation's capital. And they were well dug in. He said, oh, they weren't liked in the neighborhood, but they were they were well fortified. Were they not? I've seen that. So the pictures are just now starting to come out. I've never seen fortifications underneath a city like this ever. Like it is amazing. Journalists are starting to post pictures of themselves down there. The the the, the tunnels are big enough that you could drive cars through. That's how big the tunnels are. Wow. Wow. They're being described as an underground city underneath Duma. That, that that's how significant it is. These guys were not going anywhere. It was going to take some people were saying six months to a year just to push them out. Now think about that. That is right outside Assad's capital. Now that that, that is you know their prime you know target right now was Jaysh al Islam right there. Now here's something. Here's a few other things. This was not the first chemical attack on this group. The Syrian regime has been doing this is the third chemical attack just this year. Just this year. And there could have been several more up until last April. But just this year, this is the third. Now, most people have not heard about that. The reason being is because it just didn't get the international press. They didn't knock out as many um, people as this one did. Is the distinction as well, like, they seem to be drawing some bizarre distinction uh, between the use of chlorine and something like sarin, as if you don't mind being killed by chlorine, but you, you know, being killed by sarin is a big deal. Is that because the other the previous attacks were those chlorine attacks? Is that why they're not rising to this bizarre level? So I, I don't even think they've even I don't think they've actually made a determination if sarin was used in this. They've just kind of left that out there as it's as possible, possible right, right? Another nerve agent, exactly. Yeah. But but the reason chlorine is, is 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 interesting in this debate is because chlorine is found in a lot of manufacturing mm-hmm. factories. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, so you could pr- it, it is. So plausible that some rebels could have, you know, seized a, you know, factory or whatever and, and gotten chlorine. Mm-hmm. But the Assad regime knows that as well. Now, there's a lot of. Can I go a little into the conspiracy theory? A little bit. That's a little, little bit. But as long as you clearly it? mark it when you come in and out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So entering now. Okay. So the Putin started talking about, the Kremlin started talking about possible chemical attacks as early as, I think, April 4th. Now, this attack happened on the on the 7th. They started warning people that, hey, we've got reports that someone might be doing a chemical attack. Rebels might be staging a false flag. That was on April 4th. Again, a lot of people have not heard about that. The attack happened on the, on the 7th, and in the smaller circles, the Russians were like, see, we told you so. Now, think about what happened before uh, the Kremlin started saying that. The nerve agent attack uh, on, the, uh, on, on the former double agent, Russian double agent, who the criminals are trying to say, look, this is all just a this is all just a, a ruse to try to get everybody to turn against Russia. Well, who did Russia finger? They didn't finger rebels for the for this attack that they said happened on the seventh. Who did they finger? The English. The UK. That's who it is. They're trying to make the distinction. And the U- Russian ambassador at the UN actually said this at the Security Council meeting that they thought that this was a big ruse by the British. To tie Russia and the Assad the regime to UK ambassador? The, no, the, the, uh, Russian. the, the Russian, Russian ambassador. Yeah, let's play that. this audio. It's, it's, I warn you, it's disturbing on so many levels. Do you have the Russian ambassador, Sarah? The Russian. It's not uh, certain by any means that it was a chemical attack. Uh, there are reports from Western journalists who were in Duma yesterday 
reports that they could find uh, no folks who would confirm that there'd been a chemical attack. They went actually to the hospital where it was where those videos were filmed. They spoke to doctors, uh, named doctors, so this can be checked, who said that there was no chemical attack. What there was was an ordinary bomb attack that had people streaming into the hospital with smoke inhalation problems. And what happened then was that the white helmets, that's the jihadi uh, medical auxiliaries, uh, yes. started shouting uh, gas, caused panic. Uh, then they, everybody went into uh, gas mode. They started with the hoses and the inhalers. Uh, meanwhile, it was all being carefully videoed and put out by uh, rich Arab country propagandists. Okay, and there's a dis wow. Okay. Okay, so I in this era of, of, of Russian misinformation and, and everything they're trying to do, we have to be hypersensitive to every time someone is parroting this. And we cannot continue to parrot at that. That's why I do not like when I hear people in our own government say something like, Assad didn't have a reason to attack. You know, it's, 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 they didn't have a reason. That's exactly what the Russian regime is saying. Now, this thing he's talking about, about the white helmets, that started in R on the RT network, you know, Russian-funded news network, and Sputnik, which is also <laughs> Russian-funded. That's where that began. They're trying to make the white helmets, for people that don't know, is a, a search and rescue group. They don't, they're not combat. They're not anything. They take dead bodies and people that are hurt out of buildings. They've actually been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize back in 2016. World governments give them money for them to continue to do their work. But there's a big reason why Russia is trying to smear them, just like they tried to smear the Pope for crying out loud back in World War II. They're trying to do the same thing to the White Helmets. The reason they're trying to do that is because no one can get into these areas and verify war crimes. And that's exactly what the Russian government and Assad are complicit in, war crimes. They're trying to stop people from being able to show what's going on, even though two documentaries have actually come out and showed what the, some of the cool stuff that the White Helmets are doing. But this is all propaganda straight from the Kremlin. And I cannot believe people in actual governments are, are just spouting this off. They're just repeating it over and over again. It's insane. I mean, that's one, one viewpoint. I mean, it's one viewpoint. Uh, <laughs> there are others. Uh, apparently, Jason has not heard the report from OAN. Uh, well, this is pretty stunning. This Jason. is pretty stunning, and I, yeah, I, stunning. I'd like to hear you answer for this. Yeah, uh, wait. Listen, we want to announce that uh, One American News has an exclusive discovery. We went to uh, Duma today. We got exclusive access, mm. uh, and we were brought into the town of Duma, mm. where the alleged chemical attack happened. Uh, we were brought in uh, with a government escort and uh, shown the areas where uh, the chemical attack uh, allegedly happened. Not one of the people that I spoke to in that neighborhood said that they had seen anything or heard anything about a chemical attack on that day. Uh, they said that they were going about their normal business, uh, everything was pretty much business as usual uh, in the neighborhood that day, and they didn't see or hear anything out of the ordinary. Well, there you have it. Oh. Amazing. So the Assad uh, government uh, reached out to a uh, a reporter and said, we'll bring you in under escort and we'll take you to the site and we'll introduce you to people who can tell you the truth. Shame on you, One American News. I cannot believe this. This is what this is, is this is selling your soul for access. And it happens in everywhere in the world. Every combat zone in the world. Every journalist has offered something like this. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll take you in. This is by the government. The government guys say, yeah, under military escort, we'll show you the truth. This is the truth. 
And they're just buying it hook, line, and sinker. Now, I get it. They're probably scared because they don't want to say anything else, but probably because they might be threatened, actually, physically by the Assad regime, but also because they just don't want to lose the access. They just don't want to lose it. They want to be one of the people that have the exclusive exclu- exclusive. But this is not journalism. Not at all. They're just, they're a, it's a propaganda. That's all it is. They're, they're contributing to the spread of propaganda. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. And this propaganda, the end goal, if, if people don't understand the end goal, and we laid this out on a chalkboard um, the other day. I think it was on Monday, right after the attacks. What is it that nobody is really talking about? What What is the point of what's happening over there? And it is Israel. So Iran has been launching really this plan since, I would say, like the mid to late 80s uh, with the establishment of Hezbollah and ta- basically taking over Lebanon. That was the first step in getting on Israel's border. The next step, right after the uh, Iraq invasion, was to go in, basically seize control of the Iraqi government, which that's basically what's happened right now, and then move into Syria. That's what they're doing. The entire reason is to encircle Israel. They want to and get that's their Israel. language, not not ours. Exactly their language. Yeah, they want to encirclement, and what they get after that is basically the end of the world. And that's not hyperbole. They are actually looking for the end of the world because that's when their Messiah comes. This and again, this is what they're preaching. That's that that's their language. And if you think that that Russia is a neutral actor in this, they are completely not neutral actor. So right after the chemical weapon attack happened, who did Israel attack? They attacked the Assad regime or they attack the Iranians? They attacked the Iranians. They did a, a missile strike almost within hours of an Iranian base. It was the T4 base. And what they actually attacked, and we just found this out, I think, last night or this morning from the Wall Street Journal, was a TOR missile battery, T-O-R, TOR missile battery. That was supplied to them, given to them, supplied to them by the Russians. The, the TOR, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the uh, most aggressive uh, air defense systems out there, is it not? It's, it's a good air defense system. It's not quite the S-400, but it's a, it's a medium, medium range surface air uh, okay. missile. But, um, but it was given to them by the Russians. So the Russians are complicit in helping the Iranians do what they know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get down there and they're trying to get to Israel. But that is not unusual. Um, I told you a story the other day and you looked it up and you, you were like, and I think I even said, I don't even remember the source on this, so you better look it up. And we found it in the Washington Post from 1982. What were the Russians doing in 1982? They had an entire invasion force basically underneath the desert waiting there for whenever they wanted to use it to roll right into Tel Aviv. In, in Lebanon. In Lebanon. And Amazing. we found it in 1982. It was, there were the tanks and the ammunition and the absolutely everything you would need for a full invasion force. And the Russians in the cover of night had buried this entire invasion force. This is not something new to the Russians. Something interesting also on, uh, I was jotting down notes when I was listening to your uh, interview with the senator, and uh, he mentioned that he thought that there was no evidence, but there is evidence that we've come out and said, intelligence has evidence, they said there was a blood sample and a urine sample, so they do know uh, what the actual agent was that was used. And uh, Senator Paul also said that uh, they were supposed to get actual, the OPCW, which is the watchdog for the UN that Mm -hmm. verifies chemical weapons use, was supposed to verify today, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually get samples. Well, the Russians and the Assad regime have denied them access. They right. will not let them into Duma to actually Correct. take samples. Now, why would they do that unless they have something to hide? Right. There's no reason. If, if they're guilty, it behooves them to let them in, but they're keeping them out. So today, the UN security team, the UN, their security team for, for the OPCW went in to check the area. 
Now, it's been safe for One American News to go in there and then broadcast right from, you know, Duma Square and say everything was fine and peace in our time. But for some reason, the U.N. security team got fired upon. The U.N. security team got fired upon, so now the OPCW still cannot get into Duma. They're not going in there anytime soon. Now, you got to ask yourself, why is that? If the Russians and Assad are so, you know, um, um, well, because, because they know that the U.N. is going to plant evidence. <laughs> I mean, that there is what they will say. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, keep your keep your eye on uh, on uh, what's happening over there and and uh, keep us abreast, will you? You got it. All right. So I don't know about you, but man, I come home from uh, from work and uh, playing with the kids and doing everything I have to do and. You fall down on your bed, okay? you're so tired, and you're just like, I have got to sleep. It has taken on a whole new meaning since I started sleeping on my Casper mattress. I go to, I, I, I you know, I read a lot, and uh, I used to read in bed a lot, but now I am falling asleep that fast. Casper mattress. You got to try yours at home. The new wave mattress. Try it at Casper.com. Casper.com. Use the promo code Beck and save $50 on the purchase of your mattress. It's Casper.com. Promo code Beck. Terms and conditions do apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. You know how everybody says this is the, this is the most this is the leakiest administration of all time. You know what's really truly remarkable is Mike Pompeo went over to North Korea and met with Kim Jong Un last week, and nobody knows about it until today. Incredible! That is incredible. I mean, I, it really is. You know, it shows that the people inside the administration that are leaking actually think this one's important and are holding it back, which is positive. This could be a huge accomplishment if it works. It could be a huge accomplishment. Glenn Beck, Mercury.